What's up, Jay Brones? Live from Brooklyn, New York, and Moncton, New Brunswick, Canada, this is the Torture Rack Podcast. I am your host, Mark Bass. My co-host is John F. Malta, and we are very happy to be here with you, our friends in wrestling. John, say something let the people know you're alive, pal. What's going on, dude? Uh, real stoked to be here. I am seconds away from finishing Torture Act issue four. It's crazy that it's finally done. 164 pages, one illustration left. Your hand is hovering over the save button as we speak. About to press save, send to the printer. You know yeah. what? You probably should save it earlier than this, just in case something happens. Yeah, that's, that's just true. an illustrator. I, I got tip. I got a back I got backup files on my hard my external hard drive. I got so. fl- I got floppy disks of <laughs> uh, backups. <laughs> yeah, it's saved to Google Drive. It's saved to my external hard drive. It's saved to my floppy disk. I recorded it onto a VHS tape. Jeff Bezos up. has a copy in his <laughs> vault just in case. But yeah, it's like uh, it's pretty close to being done. I, it'll be done today. After this, I've got one illustration left to do. Last night while we were watching In Your House, I finished the second last illustration, which was for my 2019 year in review article. Uh, the illustration heavily features Jushin Thunder Liger uh, in memoriam of his... Well, maybe not a memoriam. That sounds bad. Uh, commemorating <laughs> his uh, retirement tour and uh, also features Cody, Darby Allen. Uh, John Moxley and Shibata, which I was going back and looking through different illustrations that I had made initially for issue four. Like I intended to put out issue four last year, like at the end of last year. I was going to say, cause you just said there was a 2019 the review. Yeah, I could do. I thought about, it. I was like, do I update this and make it a no, 2020 it. year interview? But like it, it was fun going back through 2019 in the year of wrestling because i i still finished like i just finished writing that article like last week and i went back and found some of the initial drawings i did for that article and the first drawing that i did uh was of shibata uh kicking kenta in the face and that happened at the g1 climax finals which would have been like i definitely late summer early fall i don't remember the actual final date off the top of my head so yeah, it's it's crazy to think that it, that far back I was thinking of doing issue four, and it just kind of grew because I brought you into uh, and asked you if you wanted to write anything, and you wrote your Intercontinental title article. And I know that when we first talked about this, you had thought that it was even earlier than the beginning of this year that you had finished. I that, felt like and it, it was maybe around like September when I started it. Yeah. So and I think you're right because I I in my mind was planning to put it out for Comic Arts Los Angeles. Uh, but then in booking and planning my trip to Wrestle Kingdom, put it off so I could feature that uh, as like an article in the fourth issue. And then that grew into realizing that I have enough content to build where it's at now, which is 164 page wrestling book. Uh, so for all these many thousands of listeners uh, who want to purchase, who want a copy of Torture Rack Season 4... What's the deal with that? How do they get it? Uh, it'll be posted to johnfmalta.bigcartel.com once it's uh, good to go. Most of the people that are listening that would want to buy it will likely be able to find it. It'll be pretty easy to find. Yeah, and then the, the other last illustration I finished was uh, of one of my favorite matches of all time, uh, the Great Muda versus the Great Nita, uh, which I 
I want to I want to have you watch this match as a classic match, but it's also a death match. But it's I can get into that. It's like not um like for everyone that watches death ma- I think a lot of people think like everything in a death match is real. Like there's this perception online right. that like like John Moxley actually took like a saw to the head, but in an interview, he talks about how they dulled the blade and it basically right. just moved the blood around his head. And in this, uh, the Great Nita has like a kind of like a small Grim Reaper sickle. Uh, it's like a, um, yeah, like a Sith, a, a Sith. Uh, but it's small and handheld. And he hits Muda with it a lot, but Muda's like outfit for the the match is like this huge, elaborate. Like, there, it's barely ever hitting him. Like, the thing that kind of makes it a deathmatch. And it's like an exploding barbed wire deathmatch, too. I'll probably have you watch it at some point. But uh, I'm in. In, in drawing I, that. I hear scythe. I hear exploding death. I'm in. <laughs> uh, in dra- the reason I drew that, though, was because I finally found on eBay uh, this watch that was produced commemorating one of uh, Onida's retirements. Uh, which uh, I'm going to show on the video. May 5th, 1995, uh, Onida fought Hayabusa in another very incredible match uh, that I think I'll probably have you watch in our classic match segment as well at some point. But I've been looking for this watch for quite a while. and You've been looking for this watch? Yeah, totally. That was on your radar. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I seen it like... I forget where I saw it first. Uh, like there, I oftentimes will comb through like old, like I'll just do searches on uh, Etsy and eBay and online for different like wrestling programs and catalogs. Uh, and on Etsy, there was an old FMW program, and in that program was this watch. So I had been. I will do searches on eBay randomly that like Great Nito watch, Onita watch, and. Like a week and a week and a half, two weeks ago, this watch finally came up uh, on eBay. Wow! And it, and it it really like yeah, it's it's such a cool watch. Uh, the the printing on it is like insane. It's like it really weird that this exists as an item that was produced uh, to me, like that you could buy a death match, a watch that commemorates a death match that happened in 1995. Uh, That's awesome. 15, 20, 25 years later uh, after it happened. But yeah, it just made me, I just was thinking like, I don't know, I it made, it made me so happy when this showed up. And I love, I still love like collecting wrestling memorabilia, wrestling figures. Oh, yeah. And it's so funny. I used to make fun of people like, you know, go to a record shop or a comic book shop. I'm like, who would buy these like, you know, these Freddy Krueger toys or this or that or these, like, Transformers. And then I see, like, the new wrestling, the AEW figures that are coming out, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I'm about to drop $300 Canadian on, like, all this shit right now. Yeah, are you going to get that scale ring? Have you made the Man, decision yet? It, I have put it in my cart so many times and got very got to the end where it says how much money it is, hesitated, closed the thing. I keep getting emails from ringside collectibles like, your cart's about to expire. And I'm like, let it let it die. Uh, but it's really hard to figure out because 
I don't know. I haven't played with a wrestling figure in since I was a child. But like I see that scale ring and I'm like, I could play with that. Time like, to book a card. A, I could make I could book a whole card. I used to okay. So when I was a kid, I <laughs> I used to book cards with my toys, but I I started by using my wrestling figures, but they didn't have enough points of articulation to do the kind of roundhouse kicks and crazy shit that I wanted to do when I was a kid. So I actually started using my GI Joes to like, Oh, that's funny. They had had the articulation on the GI Joe is like the articulation on like current wrestling figures. Yeah. It's much, yeah, much, much more, but I would like use my fingers, like make it a little hand and I would like, yeah, control these guys. Like one finger was each arm and like the other two fingers were the legs. And I would like, (laughs) I really, and yeah, I would book these whole cards and I wish I still had those because I had a stack of loose leaf paper that was like pay-per-views. And uh, I recently found these G.I. Joes and I, th- I still remember some of their names uh, and some of the storylines, like how they're related and stuff. I have M. Bison, but his hand, his glowy hand glowy, has, been, yeah, the glow has hand. been sharpened into like a claw. <laughs> I think I did it on purpose. I did all this stuff to things on purpose. Like I cut off Chris Jericho's ponytail because I thought it wasn't cool when I was a kid. <laughs> So now you, you made got, him 2008 Chris Jericho. Pretty much. Uh, I'm a fucking Nostradamus. Um, but yeah, and I like drew blood on some of their faces and stuff. That was such a trip to find Oh my them. God, dude, totally. Yeah, me yeah. and my little brother used to buy, like at Halloween, we'd stock up on fake blood packets. Yeah. So that way, like throughout the year, we could add blood to our wrestling figure matches. Yeah. That's like awesome. I have a gangrel that's sitting on the shelf right by me that's covered in fake blood oh i would have thought that was like part of the toy that actually looks sick yeah because it's gangrel so it makes sense yeah Uh, but yeah and the fake blood i feel like adds there's like some layers of transparency to it do you remember the first figure that you the first wrestling figure that you bought and like what what it was (sighs) no i don't uh i would suspect it would probably be like the rock um, like earliest figures were probably like jack's pacific figures do you yeah. think or were, did you buy were were you buying like hasbro like early 90s figures as well no i wasn't buying early 90s figures even when i went to yard sales i don't think i ever bought old wrestling because i don't have any and i kept most of my wrestling figures um i would say probably the rock but i can tell you that i grew up and obviously this is pre-internet and walmart never had all the figures they only would have some of them so like i would go over to my friend's house and he would have like rob van dam and i was like where did you find that (laughs) like i it was it blew my mind like i go to toys r us wouldn't see these things walmart um and i can tell you the one that i wanted the most was scotty too hottie because i was such a too cool fan dude too cool ruled you did you and you never got a scotty too hottie um i can't I feel like I did, but it's not in my figures that I found under the stairs and like at my parents' house. Like, so I feel like I wouldn't have gotten rid of him, but I seem to remember having him and losing his, the hat. His, yeah. His visor. Uh-huh. Yeah. He had a the, vi- cut, he had, like, the cutoff bucket hat, the cutoff bucket hat. Yeah. That put, stuck his hair through. It's so funny. If you go back and look at too cool, they're like the least cool people <laughs> in the world. Yeah. It's funny to think back. Cause my, I do remember the very first wrestling figure that I had. What uh, was it? Jake the Snake Roberts. Um, wow, with Snake? 
Uh, yeah, with Snake, uh, Hasbro, like early 90s, probably got it in like 1992, maybe 1991. Uh, it, and uh, it was my... Uh, this I, my dad's friend Buck bought it for me. I don't know why. Like he just was hanging out. My dad's it was a good friend of my dad's. He would hang out with us a lot, so we called him Uncle Buck, and he would bring <laughs> us <laughs> wrestling figures every now and then. And uh, the first wrestling show I went to, Uncle Buck went to that wrestling show with us, and he was a big part of our like family when I was really young. But just to be clear, um, did they adapt this into a? <laughs> Hollywood film starring John Candy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That's uh, okay. that's uh, that's my way of uh, sharing that information okay. about my my early years. It was really interesting <laughs> when he when he came in with like the hockey mask and stuff. That it was... would be pretty funny if I would. I don't. I would. I lo- I really like that movie, but don't remember it enough to like transition in this into me just telling starting to scenes tell- from <laughs> Uncle Buck. I yeah. only I just was on TV the other day and I was watching it and that's the only reason. But uh yeah, he he I as an adult have not talked to Uncle Buck. Um I've not seen him since I was a little kid. For no reason. I think it's just like maybe my dad and him grew apart as friends. I'm not sure, but he bought me my first wrestling figure, which was Jake the Snake Roberts. And I remember being at a a, a like a recreational football game that he and my dad were both were both the referees of. And I threw Jake the Snake up into a tree. What? And he got stuck. And it was really, really high up. So Did you have to call the fireman? I mean, just as tragic as a cat getting stuck in a tree. (laughs) 1990s Jake the Snake has bro. snack. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, he... he, uh, No, we did not call the fire department, but... uh, (laughs) All of the adults spent a lot of time getting... Trying to get it out of the tree because I was really upset that it was stuck like for obvious reasons. Cause I loved that toy and took it everywhere with me and still have it, uh, on a and shelf. Then Uncle Buck came and plucked the tree <laughs> straight out of the ground and shook Jake free. <laughs> exactly. That's and exactly everyone rejoiced. Well, so, so do you have like, do you remember maybe like the last figures that you bought or figures that you... I definitely remember the last ones I bought because it was not oh, very long ago. <laughs> yeah, that, I maybe mean like... Because there was a time where you stopped buying wrestling figures, right? Oh my gosh, yes. There was a very large portion of my life, uh, my formative years. I would say the last wrestling figure I bought was probably when I was, you know, maybe 12 or 13 and did not continue until I was 30 years old, so... Yeah, um, yeah, like, the only ones that I, like, I definitely am the same. Like, I think the last few that I bought, like, were the ECW figures. Uh, they were at a discount, like, grocery store by my parents' house. Nice. Uh, and they were cheap. They were really, they were cheap enough for me to, like, be cutting lawns and to go there and buy, like, a couple of them. Like, they were probably, like, I don't remember the price, that. but I bet they were, like, 3 or $4 at that store. And they had them all for... Like, for a long time, for, like, a couple years, like, I remember, like, it it was probably, like, late, like, 1999, 2000, so I would have been, like, 12, 13, yeah, because it was, like, cutting lawns, and also umpiring baseball games, so... I did that... Did you really? I did that for one game. Dude, that job sucks. Why did you only do it for one game? That's a great question. <laughs> so I was, uh, you know, 
one of my coaches was like, do you want to umpire? And I was like, well, I barely understand the rules of baseball, but, uh, <laughs> dude, okay. same. Yeah. Okay. It's like, I know how to play the game and yeah. I kind of get like what a strike, like I understand what a strike zone is, but it's like, you I don't know all of the concept of, like... of a strike zone. <laughs> yeah. It's like, how are you supposed to call it? You're like 12 and yeah, you have you, you authority are a, on a adults. child. Okay. <laughs> so they're throwing stuff and I'm literally just calling whatever whatever like ball strike like i'm calling balls when they swing and the team uh one of the team coaches was so mad at me and he like just kept razzing me the whole game he's like come on up and yell and i just like cried and like left the game <laughs> never to ump again that was the end of my umping career um i think i did it for like a whole summer but for like you. i yeah, I, I... You weren't heckled out the first game. That is a good start. It did give me, like, I think probably my earliest memories of feeling, like, kind of, like, anxiety as, like, a child. Like, I mean, you obviously feel, like, nervous or, like... Yeah. But a lot of times as a kid, since you're with your parents, you always feel safe in most situations. I mean, I, I, ideally, you sure. would feel safe in, like, a situation. And I feel like... A, but on your own volition, it's like my parents would drop me off to umpire... And then I'd be there alone. It's not like I would know anybody there yeah. for the people that I was umpiring games for. Yeah, exactly. So it's there alone. And I'm calling a game that adults are taking too way too seriously. Way too seriously. It is a weird transition for a child to make from player to umpire. Seems like something you would do like <laughs> in your 50s or something, you know? Yeah, what I mean? like you've had a storied career and now like yeah, you're going like, to like now you understand all boots. of the rules of ba baseball and you're going to use that for the next generation. That's like if you were 14 and they put you on like color commentary. <laughs> like this I would This kid watches. Right. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, this kid watches wrestling. Let's throw him on commentary. He's probably good. Where are his parents yeah. at? Let him go. But yeah. That, uh, that... We'll, we'll be right back for the Torture Act Umpire podcast. <laughs> We're talking umps today, boys. Is this... is Sorry, is this an episode of We Love Umps? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, dude. Anyways, I would umpire to um, save up money so I could go to this grocery store, which was called uh, Jody's, now called Mark's, at the Shoregate Shopping Complex. Uh, and outside of Cleveland, Ohio, and I'd buy ECW figures, and those figures were really, really cool and really insane. Like, there's a new... I have a couple different New Jack figures, and I still have them, and the New Jack I figure... I don't know why. I thought you were going to... When you were saying new... I was like, I have a couple, like, nude Dudley boys figures. <laughs> like, fully nude. Like, you can't even put clothes on them. No, but the Dudleys look... Are cool. The details on them... Like, all of the details on the ECW figures, everyone has, like, really cool shirt graphics... Yeah. That are very detailed. And New Jack, like, he is wearing everything he wears to the ring. So he has, like, a No Limit Soldier shirt on and, like, a noose around his neck. And, like, his full ring gear where it's, like, this is a produced for a child based off of a hyper-violent uh, <laughs> wrestling promotion. And I'm able to just ride my bike to the grocery store and buy these figures. But... It, it makes and I, in thinking about that, like I, there really was no like time period between the last figures that I bought and the figures that I still buy now. <laughs> uh, I in between those times, the only figures that I bought and me and my little brother would buy for each other were like off-brand dollar store wrestling action figures. Uh, right. Like there's 
really cool ones. And that's like a, a type of uh, action figure that I have like a whole shelf of to the left of me right now is like random, weird off-brand dollar store figures. Um, but yeah, the new AEW figures now, it's like, oh, I think I'm going to buy some new. I haven't bought like any new wrestling figures in a while. But now with these new AEW figures, those Lucha Bros are looking real sick. It looks so awesome. I in my cart currently in Ringside Collectibles, I have the scale ring, which comes with Kenny Omega. I have Cody, whose tights look tight, and he's got the fucking sledgehammer and everything, the Triple H sledgehammer. And who was the last one? Oh yeah, Painmaker Jericho. Dude, Painmaker Jericho looks tight. Yeah. Uh... They look so tight. It the chests are weird, but I know it's because they have more articulation. So I'm like okay with it, but they all have like these weird like caved in chests. Aesthetically, I hate I hate how that looks so much. Yeah, like yeah. I, I like the the figures that come with like a vest or a um, yeah. coat to put it over it because I, I would say like my of all time like my favorite designed figures in wrestling are probably those ECW figures just because of how they're kind of designed in the way that like old Godzilla toys are designed, which I imagine a lot of like people who are really into figures don't like, which is that like, they're like not really articulated and they kind of are just very rigid, almost like little sculptures. Um, But yeah, those, I I definitely am going to buy the Lucha bros. Uh, I, I want a wrestler that can do a super kick. Like, that's what I want. I want a wrestler who it's not like, I don't have to bend them over to like touch their toes to make them do a super kick. Do you think you know these I mean? uh, new AEW toys are going to oh, do that? They're going to pass the super kick test for sure. That's a good, yeah. Does it pass the super kick test? ECW toys, no. AEW toys, yes. I can't wait to find out. I can't wait to do an unboxing video for all of our many fans. Dude, yeah. Uh, I have to put a yeah. I got to put an order into Ringside Collectibles too. I don't think I'm gonna get the scale ring. Just uh, I already don't really have actually have no shelf space in my studio right now for anything. Really, I kind of have maxed out. I need I'll need to buy another shelf. I think just for uh, wrestling figures. Wow. I um yeah. If I bought the scale ring, it would be with every intention of using it and booking my own. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Oh, just... dude, we are for sure throwing down on some uh, St. Hubert's, some Swiss Chalet, and booking a card. <laughs> I love time I'm because... in Moncton, New Brunswick. Well, I love to get these new AW guys, too, because I, I love the idea of just booking these matches with wrestlers throughout history as if they were all in their prime at once. Like, uh, in, in the front there, I had, you know, Kevin Owens versus Stone Cold. No, and, like, yeah, AJ Styles versus Stone Cold and... These these sick matches that dude yeah the potential for matches is limitless, limitless. Sto- Stone um, Cold versus who would you throw Stone Cold versus out of the new AEW line? The new AEW line? Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, is there a Mox figure? Stone Cold versus Mox. Yeah, there's gonna Absolutely. be. Absolutely. Uh, is there anyone uh, that they have not yet released that you hope they make a figure of? That isn't as obvious as some. Hmm. Luchasaurus. Oh yeah, dude. There needs I to be a like a thir- thirteen-inch Lucis, a thirteen-inch Luchasaurus with a Marco stunt that's like a little keshi, like that's like this size. That <laughs> just like sits on his shoulder. Uh huh. And the, maybe a Marco stunt and a Jungle Boy that are both like tiny keshi figures. Oh my god. Uh, 
That would be awesome. You know who else would be sick? Is we've talked about this before, but uh, James Havoc with his entrance gear with the fucking Sub Zero mask. And oh the long... my god, dude, that needs to be like a a higher end like Mondo figure where it's like a hundred and thirty dollars and it has every like detail of Jimmy Havoc. Totally. Um, but yeah, man, uh, I'm I'm hoping for Butcher and the Blade, which um, makes me uh, wonder. I know we didn't really talk about this beforehand, but did you watch AEW Dark? I did not watch Dark. Um, I did see the Dark card for this week. And Dude, it's... your boy, Mr. Ass, was in singles competition. No! Last week. I last missed, Tuesday. I missed William Gunn. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Was, so, was uh, Bart there, too? He Oh, he was. Dude, their intro. You, oh, my God. You got to. You you, I'm kind of wondering, like, what What do you think the purpose was to have Billy Gunn, Billy Gunn uh, wrestles in a singles competition, singles match against uh, like some a random like job guy and win, and he wins. Okay. Oh, so they're like pushing Billy up. The yeah, ranks. I guess so. Do you, I was wondering like wh- why do you think they would have him win a singles match? That's a good observation, though. Yeah, that it's like maybe the the fact that they just want to give him some wins. That's a great question. I hope they put him in a program. Honestly, like he's better than. In my opinion, he's more interesting than a lot of the people who are getting screen time. Like, if QT Marshall was not on screen, like yeah, I don't same. think I would complain. He's like a QT Marshall. Oh, is he a veteran? Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why, why is that funny? I don't know. But um, it is. Yeah. I. Uh. Yeah. He. He was around. He talked about it on a. On a. Um. On one of the Road Two Weekly shows a long time ago, he was around and didn't get a chance in ROH. He was in the position of like the job guys sort of thing in Ring of Honor. I don't know enough about his history to really say much more than that, but I, I just remember him being lamenting like the career that didn't happen, and now saying he has this chance in AEW, not necessarily to become like world champion, but just to like wrestle again. And so, so what the fuck is going on with him and the bunny? Yeah, Ringside. dude. Well, and the other thing you missed was QT Marshall <laughs> uh, buys a Corvette at the encouragement of the bunny. Okay, so he's going through some sort of midlife crisis. I honestly see. Yeah, that, that's. I I think that the entire like so the entire episode of AEW Dark, I think is built to serve the butcher and the blade right now, like. And that's and it's a it's a it, I don't know if this is true, but it seems to me like it's almost the entire card from last Tuesday was in service of different like you could make connections in a very simple way to the butcher and the blade. The butcher and the blade had a really sick squash match. Like that tag match was great. They like yeah. came in, fucked people up, and then left. Looked really strong. They, they though they were in their old costume like in their old attire the steampunk attire mm-hmm. so it'll be interesting to see if their in-ring gear is still do you think they recorded that earlier or something i guess maybe it's just an older match like maybe they recorded that match a week or two two weeks ago before they decided to, to change up their look but it does make sense to sort of build them up because they have they're facing ftr uh on the next dynamite yeah give FTR's them a win first aw match totally and I think like, and even in the main event too. So the main event of AEW Dark was uh, QT Marshall 
the Natural Nightmares and Dust, uh, Dustin versus uh, Librarian and Cutler. And that whole match almost existed just to get Allie on commentary to question her about Butcher and the Blade and her motives and why she's doing all of this. And she basically just dodged all of the questions and didn't really say anything and just talked about how great QT was. So in my mind, and they kept mentioning how um, the Natural Nightmares are the number two contenders for the tag titles, which... It's is, such a weird time right now. There must be just people the stuck rankings, everywhere. I guess so. Yeah, you got to think, like, when was the last Lucha Bros match? Lucha Bros are for sure not there. Well, I know. Uh, and when was their last match? Like, they haven't had a chance to win any, like, ever. No, like, no. Uh, they're la- like, I can't think of the last time I seen Pentagon even in an a on an AEW show, uh, let alone seeing the two of them in a tag match together. Oh yeah. Cause F- uh, Fenix got injured recently and, and he has been there, but uh, we're the Lucha. Like, yeah, I don't know. I'll have to go back. I mean, we were, were the Lucha bros on revolution. Um, I don't remember, but, uh, when did they become death triangle with Pac? Oh, that happened Pac. right after revolution. I think. Okay. Either so they right were there after... for that, but they haven't been there. I don't think maybe they wrestled once as Death Triangle, but I don't think they've wrestled much more than that. Yeah, wow, Lucha Bros. I just looked up the card, and they were not on the card. Pack defeated Orange Cassidy. Uh, right. That was so awesome. and that that set up because wasn't and I think maybe Death Triangle was set up the following Wednesday night uh, because it was like they were fucking up the best friends, and now Lucha Bros were sided with pack and then like because that that would have been like early march late february and then from there yeah the uh coronavirus hit and then you know we haven't seen pentagon since so it would make sense that someone I, it kind of blew my mind that the natural nightmares were number two seed uh just in that man you described that you, match to me dustin and qt marshall versus librarian and brandon cutler I could not book a match I would like to watch less than that. That <laughs> yeah, sounds but... like the most filler match imaginable. I d- definitely agree, but I also think so. The secondarily, I like the other the other storylines that that are unfolding on Dark, which I don't really I don't really care that much about. But is this like Cut- Cutler and Librarian storyline where they're both trying to not be the worst? Like they're both trying to get their first <laughs> win, basically. Yeah. Uh, before the other one does. And that's been playing out on being the elite and on dark for a while now. I, I, and I do think the payoff to that's going to be funny. Like it should be some kind of crazy, like hell in a cell, like cage match between the two of them at one right. of their pay-per-views. Cage and of I, death. And I think it's three good, cages stacked on top of each other. Yeah. Some ridiculous. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Like three stages of hell match. You know what they should do? This would be great is they should uh, advertise it for Fighter Fest. Cutler versus Librarian, the greatest wrestling match ever. <laughs> but yeah, I think... <laughs> Dude, totally. Uh, <laughs> Same graphics as the Randy Orton Edge match from WWE. Yeah, that, that match couldn't have lower expectations for it this Sunday, but... Uh... it's some That's some reverse psychology shit. They're like... Right, yeah, because so anything's going to be Edge good Edge and then. Randy Orton... In the longest, most boring match ever. Actually, the second longest match in WrestleMania history. Oh my god! After the Brett and Sean Iron match. Man, I love uh, Iron Edge Man so much, but yeah, that match is my. I told you this. It is my least favorite WrestleMania match 
I think maybe I I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch every WrestleMania match ever. Every WrestleMania out of all the WrestleMania matches I have seen, I think that's probably my least favorite. Um, but yeah, just I'm, eight. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say I'm sure I could dig deep, but like I'm sure I could put three of those matches together and they wouldn't be as long as that Edge Randy Orton. I was just might, gonna. You're, oh, you're right. Yeah, like it, there might be a match might that's be going like, on lame, right now. But yeah. Edge and Edge and Randy Orton's length outweighs like some weird random early 90s match that wasn't that good and it was so weird because i think maybe the week after we saw champa cole backstage brawl through the nxt performance center and it was so superb dope yeah it was awesome anyway yeah like AEW dark i think is in a it's in a position right now where they're giving all these people storylines that if they were in if they were on any other promotions card, I don't even think any of them would really be featured apart from the Butcher and the Blade. Like if you went through and listed everyone that was like on the card of Dark last week, which I have just now, like I think <laughs> like, yeah, just like the, I, like thinking about everyone like Cutler, Librarian, QT, Dustin, Mr. Ass, and then a bunch of job guys. The only people that would really be featured would be Butcher and the Blade. Uh, yeah. Well, that, and, and that is cool. Like, it's cool to have a program that's free on YouTube where you can go, let's try out some matches that aren't money. See if they're any good. See if we can generate some heat from, from some of these guys. And if, if things go well, you can transition them to Dynamite. But the one thing um, that I wish did happen, though, like, why is there not been... Like, the only significant storyline, like, I in uh, thinking about talking about this, I was trying to come... Like, because I've watched most of almost every dark up until 2020. So I've seen probably every episode of dark, except maybe January, January's darks. Cause they, they got, there was a point where like AEW dark kind of transitioned into being mostly just like, here's everyone that we don't feature on TV. And the only right. significant storyline that I can think of that unfolded on dark was uh Janela versus Kip Sabian, like their blow off, which was right. built up outside of dark. It was built up, uh, on AEW Dynamite, and and uh, I remember reading it was supposed to be on. It was supposed to be on the Revolution card, but then got moved to being like a long match on Dark. Which I think that that's what they need to do. Like there should be more of is like why why not throw Darby Allen in a storyline with someone on Dark because we haven't seen him on TV in a while, or maybe like extend the Dark Order stuff to give us a better understanding of what they're doing, like on dark uh which they kind of started to do but then when they started to cool dark order off kind of stopped right uh, have you seen the card for uh dark this week i uh i seen moxley's fighting someone he fought in ccw uh moxley versus robert anthony oh yeah that's gonna be sick who lost against spears he, uh, he lost against spears recently cool uh like last week um, so probably not going to beat Moxley then, or no, I don't think so. <laughs> so then we have uh, Butcher and the Blade versus Pineapple Pete and Anthony Katina. Dude, yeah, Dude, I there's so many people who should be tag champions on AEW's roster right now. Like, yeah, give Butcher and the Blade uh, the belts. QT Marshall versus Zach Clayton. I don't know who that is. So Marshall's uh, getting the win. Marshall's definitely getting the rub there, and then. SCU versus Lowrider and Fuego del Sol, who I do not know. Is that SCU as in Kaz and Sky? Kaz and Sky, yeah. Sick. And Jurassic Express versus Cutler and Avalon. There we go. 
and Inner Circle and Santana Ortiz versus Musa and Brady Pierce. I like Santana Ortiz being on there. Yeah, they the see, the problem was for a while it was like the same mix of like five people like yeah. Private Party, Sean Spears, Cutler Librarian, and then QT Marshall and Dustin and then they would all fight each other and there'd be a random like oh cool Jungle Express is on there. It it almost work it should work like okay, so two teams fight on uh dynamite so let's say next week ftr and butcher and the blade and if ftr wins they should be on dynamite the next week and butcher and the blade should be moved to dark having to fight with somebody on dark so then they're on dark and they fight like private party and whoever wins that gets to go onto dynamite so it's like rankings oh. be- between the like, like you just have to just say tr- that just kind of almost treat it let it we all know it's basically become like a the b show sunday night yeah. heat sort of thing so just let sure. it become that in that yeah, way it's like you f- you fight dark for the ability yeah. to get into dynamite and it's a it is like unarguably a bigger deal to have a match on dynamite regardless of what the view of the company is on aew dark it's like dynamite is on tnt for two hours every week it's not a free youtube show yeah exactly so so um dynamite this week started out with a with a barn burner yeah, man. The Super Bad Death Squad against Omega and Hangman. Is that officially their name? The Super Bad <laughs> I think Death that's the, the, hash, the hashtag Penelope Ford. That's so sick. Uh, keeps posting uh, and Sabian and uh, Havoc. That, yeah, that name. I, I, do, I love that name so much. And I don't even care that there's another, like, Death Triangle is fine. Like, who cares? Just keep using the, the word death in all of the uh, faction names. Uh, yeah, Death Triangle haven't. Because they've not been around. Copyrighted the word death no. any more than they've copyrighted trying. And I and super bad. I do think there's something to that feud also. If there's super bad death squad versus the death triangle and actually have like a three on three Penelope, Sabian, and Havoc against Pack right. uh, and the Lucha Bros. But yeah, that, that, op- that opening match was great. Uh, I have to say this is the most I've ever liked Kip Sabian. I feel like he is really. Like coming into his own in this team with uh, with Jimmy Havoc, I think it's just because you know he was obviously booked as kind of a cowardly heel who would who would lose a lot, um, but he was so dominant in this match. Like he was keeping his holding his own against Kenny Omega in these sequences that were just absolutely phenomenal. Made me want to see a singles match between uh, Havoc and, and Omega. That would be sick. Also, oh my god, that would be so good. Yeah, like a longer a longer match. Yeah, because Havoc has a lot of wrestling. Uh prowess he just is known for doing death matches but he's just like a lot of those guys who are more known for doing like crazy spots but then like joey janela is most known for you know his roof roof jump or uh roof spot but like and is widely known as someone who does like crazy spots like that but then we'll also have like sick straight wrestling matches with people like leo rush it's yeah. a great match he had with the two of them had in CZW, and same thing with Jimmy Havoc too. Like, yeah, he it's cool to see him go up against someone like Kenny Omega, where the two have such different, like vastly different wrestling histories and backgrounds, and they come totally. together and clash yeah. on AEW Dynamite. Yeah, this I I love this matchup. I love that this I love the really long opening matches, like a good fifteen minute opening match, just really sets the tone for the episode. Um, the only, the, my only criticism with this match a little bit, and I don't know, maybe I'm just like becoming more and more 
in sympathy of Jim Cornette every day, but um, the long sequences of the match where people weren't tagging and everyone was just in the ring at once, I think that's starting to bother me more when I'm just seeing the ref just kind of standing there. He should at least be pretending to try to like be like, hey, go back, you gotta, you gotta tag. Um, but it just doesn't happen for like five minute stretches. Do you think though, like... Because the refs in AEW are like the refs in New Japan, right? They get to they make their they own make their calls. own judgment calls. Yeah, um, so it, I, it just it bothered me more than it has ever bothered me during this match, and I think it's just because I'm thinking about it more. I think that's why there was an instance I can't think of. There was an instance this week. Maybe we'll come up to it as we uh, sure. talk about everything. But there was an instance this week where I thought, like, why wasn't there a tag there? I think it might have been on NXT. Um, but I, yeah, I see. I know what you're saying, though. Yeah, there's like, it's it's funny because I I did not notice it until it was brought up, and I know there was something about how Jericho talked to the locker room about uh, uh, tag matches. Oh yeah, and like how to work a tag match. Yeah, he was saying how there's like too much of that and not enough like tag psychology happening. I feel like it's there's nothing wrong with like having a nice sequence, you know what I mean? Like someone goes for the pin, the other partner comes in, they break it up, they double team, the other partner from the opposing team comes out, they have a little scuffle, but I feel like that should last like a minute and then it should be like, okay, every, like guys go back to your corner. But I felt like there was just like a 5-minute stretch at the end where it was just people hitting moves on each other and yeah, I don't know. You know, ref ref Aubrey is really the only ref that I can think of, like off the top of my head in in my memory, that really gets in the face with the wrestlers. Like, right, does what you're talking about. Like, yeah, don't, you can't do that. Like, we'll take a foreign object away. We'll you know, uh, yeah. break break things up, throw things down. I saw a great GIF on uh, Squared Circle of uh, Earl Hebner from like I think it was like 2009 or something. Someone was was uh, was holding a pin on the ropes. And Hebner just like jumps up and drop kicks the top rope to like get him <laughs> off of it. It was it was awesome, dude. That rules. Um, I gotta say, to... oh yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no, please go. I was gonna say like the common. I did not really. I wasn't that excited about the combination of Hangman and Kenny as a tag team to begin with. Like I thought it was a fine, like New Japan style singles pairing where it's like we need to get these two in some kind of program. There's not story for them outside of this. So let's throw them together and see what happens. Yeah. And obviously that story has turned into like hangman has risen to superstar status. Yeah. Um, there's been so many great matches that have come from that. One of the best tag matches ever between them and the bucks at revolution. Absolutely. And, you know, now they're like in seeing them gel together and become this tag team, which I think you're going to launch into some of the sequences like that. My favorite spot of theirs is when Kenny does the Kentaro Crusher and then Hangman does a shooting, standing shooting star press for a count. That's literally exactly what I was about to say. Uh, big boot from Hangman, Kentaro Crusher from Omega, and then uh, Hangman's right back in with the uh, standing shooting star press. So good. Yeah, it's so, so good. good. And they're both, they both have such, Hangman and Kenny too, both have such different ways, different but complementary ways of working spots and like just their move sets in general, like a lot of like hard hitting high flying spots. And it's like hangman's like deep, like mid South brawler. And Kenny is this like hyper video game come to life. (laughs) And then as a tag team, it's like, how do you beat these two? They're like, they're throwing so much at you. Yeah, exactly. And they're like final move really is that, 
articulated like the um v trigger with the um what's it called hangman's uh lariat. oh buckshot, buckshot lariat. lariat yeah, yeah which the they, ca- they called the last call uh on they did dynamite I, when I, they I, said the last call i could see like whiskey and milk just like <laughs> cracking together as like a, a cheers um, so funny did you did, catch the shoryuken from havoc no uh no i don't think so dude his I, moveset too is really cool yeah oh man they were like they were awesome like uh, the sorry, what are they called? Scorpion Death Squad. <laughs> What's it? Super Bad Death Squad. Super Bad Death Squad. Yeah. Um. They they are an awesome tag team. Like they should. I hope that doesn't stop. I hope that they stay together. They get a name. The only thing that annoys me about tag teams is when they don't have names. I want them to have names, even if they just joined up. Just give them a name. You I can so want. clearly hear Excalibur saying Super Bad Death Squad. Also. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I only saw this because I had to rewatch Dark because I was just, I don't know, I was really tired. Or sorry, Dynamite. I rewatched that this morning because when it aired, I was just, I don't know, it wasn't all there. Um, and I caught it this time. Uh, Paige is on the top rope and Havoc calls it out. He goes, Shoryuken! And then uppercuts him. Oh my god. I, I have... Uh, it was yeah, awesome. I, his I his uppercuts that. are sick. I didn't hear him <laughs> say that. He called it out. It was like... <laughs> It was like New Japan. I missed that. That's sick. A, yeah. I oh, yeah, it. where they yell at each other. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I love that. Um, and, oh, man, there was a sick moment where Kip hit the hit a backbreaker. It was like one of those code breaker. Oh, yeah. I loved, yeah. Yeah, and that like hits a, a reverse like back, The backstabber. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and, the, and the reverse Hurricane Rana. I was trying to figure out, is there a difference between a Hurricane Rana and a Frankensteiner? Uh, is the Frankensteiner? I don't think so. I feel like someone made the point that the Frankensteiner um drops you more on the top of your head instead of your back, right? Because it's supposed to like flatten your head like the Frankenstein's monster. Um, but then oh, I hear... that's a cool detail. I actually didn't realize yeah. that. But then I hear sometimes X just calling a franken like a hurricane run a frankensteiner and i'm like oh maybe they're just used interchangeably now yeah it seems like all, all of the gifts of frankensteiner i just looked at they're it's a combination of people doing hurricane ranas and poison ranas but it does look like they're landing right. more on the top of their head that and it just seems like that's a move that only would work in like a 64 wrestling game because otherwise you're just gonna kill your <laughs> opponent if you're like dropping them on their head yeah um, like I, it's it's a crazy i guess in looking at it though like and I, I feel like Kenny, Kenny's are really smooth in this way. They the person, the person doing the move lands before the person taking the move. Right. So it's like almost like just you're flipping someone back on their feet. Right. It looks crazier than it probably actually is, but it does seem like one of the easiest moves to like totally fuck up. <laughs> like in either like a botchy like that spot was fucked up way or a, I just killed this person and now I'm sad way. Yeah. That would be a big botch killing someone. <laughs> um, so I, th- I thought this match was, was, was excellent. Uh, I gave it a B plus slash a minus. Uh, what did you give it, John? Sorry. I don't have your grades. Oh, I don't remember, but I remember feeling I the same way. Plus. I wasn't yeah. like, 
it's not like it was the greatest tag match of all time, but it was a great match that I would, without a doubt, rewatch and would love to see more of. After after this match, there was a, a Spears Tully promo. Dude, Tully's um, energy right now is like Sam Kinison. It's so amazing. Why so is good. what's going on? Okay, so do you remember how on like the first episode of this show, I was just like irrationally angry about Sean Spears's booking? Totally. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Tully listened to this show. <laughs> And he's the only one more pissed off than I am because I'm he done just with this shit. We're pushing Spears. Reams out Sean Spears <laughs> on. Hey, he dresses him down like he's like fucking Sam Kinison. He's just like, do you do you want your kids <laughs> to hold up the belts that you want? Because you need to change something in your heart. <laughs> I was like, holy shit! I that's exactly what I was saying, but just yelling it. Um, so that was great, and then. He goes into a limo in this episode and he's like, I think I found what you've been missing and just gives a Spears glove. just one glove, which I know is like a like South wrestling kind of uh, lingo for becoming like a, a badass heel, like uh, a yeah. prisoner's heel. But it was just so funny in the context of that episode. Yeah, like, like he, I think I'm going to dress you, need. you down and here's a glove. Here is a fingerless glove. What do you think that could mean? I literally just think he's just going to come back a ruthless heel. I hope he comes back a ruthless heel with a long, flowing 1980s mullet. I, I think he, it would really... He somehow grows a mullet around his... <laughs> like, oh my god, he could... In one week. That's my only complaint with Spears is his haircut. Like, I feel like I if know, he, we talk if about this had, a lot. If he had, like, like, a sick, like, Von Eric like, mullet... His whole gimmick would change, but he has that like just that teeny tiny mohawk that I think it's because he kind of looks like a dinosaur. Yeah, it's just it's not a that is not an intimidating haircut. Like I feel like Brian Cage could have that haircut, and you would be like, "All right, you look cool. I don't care." Like, please. Speaking of Brian Cage, that's the next match was a squash. Brian Cage, who can stop the path of Cage? I really, and we've talked about this, but I think I feel like Taz should yell it. Yeah, why does the, he speak it like that? In the thing, he's just like, who can stop the path of Cage? But it should be like, who can stop the path of Cage? Right? <laughs> totally. Yeah, I don't understand. Because like the, I, I mentioned uh, I mentioned to you a few, quite a few times how much I love Taz yelling his promos. Because he's been very even keel, mild-mannered sports broadcaster on AEW. Well, yeah, yeah. He hasn't been, even been the color guy. He was just kind of a... A third man. Yeah, just throwing out, like, you know, great. He would sell everyone that was coming on Dark. He's doing a great job on the commentary desk. We both have loved his work on the commentary desk. I love his work on the... Please never speak for me again. Uh, <laughs> I love his work on the those those videos where he would like analyze, be like, "See, Darby, oh. it goes up for the camel clutch. <laughs> That's very cool. He's got the he's got his hand right across the victim's neck, and that restricts blood and airflow." <laughs> Dude, totally. Yeah, I I feel like that that. It, Taz has been used in such a great way in AEW, and now, yeah, his Brian Cage's intro needs to not be Taz over enunciating that. It shouldn't be this. Even, it's like Taz did the cleanest, most even read of that, so you could hear what he was saying. I think, yeah, but it should just be Taz off the chain screaming yeah. that that those words. Yeah, it should be like the equivalent of the glass smash from Stone Cold. Yeah, yeah. Team. 
Totally. She just ring through the arena and strike fear. Because I find myself hearts. just like kind of like cautiously listening to Taz speaking those words. It sounds like he really wants to know. Yeah. He's like, who, who can who can stop the path to cage? Does anybody, do you guys know? <laughs> this is a question. This is I is a serious inquiry. Um, yeah, this was a cool squash. He hit the jobber with one of the biggest, enormous belly-to-belly reverse suplexes I've ever seen. It was like he took it was like he took his little Hulk Hogan like eighties pillow action figure toy and just like threw it over <laughs> his head. Yeah, Brian wild. Cage is a monster. Um, it's cool. Calls- it's cool seeing someone like just explode onto a roster like this. Like they're doing the same thing they did with Lance Archer with him, and it feels like this chaotic. There are these chaotic hosses. Yeah, just waiting he- to take down a champion. He's got that he's got that agility that makes him stand out from um Archer who I wouldn't call quite as quite as agile even though he does like a top rope walk like Cage just like explodes into every move. I wonder um this it should be interesting with Fighter Fest just see how long he can go because he almost seems like a Goldberg at the moment like he comes in and like destroys you in like one and a half minutes and then he's out. But that's also just a, a matter of the fact that he's being booked in squash matches. Um, yeah. Because Lance, uh, Lance Archer, I keep calling him Lancher. <laughs> or Lanch. Lanch. Lanch Who Archer. can stop? The Who can stop Lanch. the pack and Lanch? <laughs> and then, yeah, like, um, Taz was pissed off. He's like, hey, Moxley, like, why do you, you were laughing at us? And then Moxley comes out. He's like, I love, I love the fact that we're going to have a huge fucking fight. Like, like it's bring it on. Awesome. Bring it like, it makes me happy. Um, yeah, that was, that was great seeing Mox. He's like, I know I seem like I'm smiling now, but like you trying to take this title from me is a whole other scenario completely. And I am true. pumped for this match. Yeah. It's weird. Cause the buildup to Brody Mox, which we talked about, I didn't really care that much about that match. Wasn't that excited about it. And then in the match, I, I in the retrospect, I love what the Mox and well, did. Well, it wasn't a long build; like it was literally two weeks before the pay per view. Brody beat up Mox, and then and I the guess next... yeah, that's true. But I think maybe it's like I don't know. I'm just maybe more excited about Brian Cage as well. Like I like as soon as I oh, heard Cage sure. and Mox were fighting, I didn't need to know anything else. Like I was like, oh, that's gonna be that match is gonna be awesome. Yeah. Well, well I mean, we 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 have our issues with Brody Lee in the, in the dark order. So maybe but, that's uh, it's mostly just that, I guess. Yeah. I hope that they take a little bit of time. And then by the time the dark order comes back, they come back full force with all the members and hopefully new members. Um, that would be cool if they kind of like cooled them off and just try to diff like for, from now till all out had them like re- trying to recruit different people that at all out. Yeah. They come out with the uh, full Uno force. Grayson Brody, and then maybe three new members as well. Yeah. I hope it's like it it can't be people who have good personalities. So it's got to be like your your QTs and your cutlers and your librarians. Like it has to be those guys but like it would be really cool if just like you know the librarian came out. I know hear me out. Uh you know in a totally different outfit in like in the creeper outfit and just suddenly is like way better and like beats like Jungle Boy or something like I don't know. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, like As someone if the Dark that Order is like losing. actually does have a like a a power. Dude, that's that's a sick storyline, actually. Like 
Yeah. Uh, like Colt Cabana. Who did you say? QT or QT? QT. Like, yeah. Someone like that. Like QT is supposed to have a match with like number 12. Right. And number 12 comes in because Peter Avalon's a great wrestler and does. He's got a really cool like classic wrestling moveset, like wrestling moveset. Yeah. Yeah. If he came out. And we didn't know it was him. He still hasn't won. The Cutler and Librarian storyline still going. Yeah. And then, I mean, it could be building. You are making a good point, And it could be building to this in that one of them comes out and is like number 12, number 13. They win and then reveal, I'm a and part of the Dark like, Order. Shit. And then Brody comes out, Grayson comes out, they all come out. And they're like, yeah, we help people win. This is what we do. That immediately well, would make me like Dark Order. It's just that disparity between what the Dark Order says that they're doing and what they're actually doing. Like, they're the most dominant force. They never win any matches. Like, And the only dominant thing they've you. done, yeah, is beat up the Elite. Like, yeah, one, one like time. a couple times. Like, once or twice, yeah. It's fine that Brody lost, but, yeah, we need to see the difference. We need to see... I don't think Sean Spears should, although it would give him, with the mask, some time to grow his hair out. Um but unless like Tully wants to not be on the show anymore, I feel like no. But yeah, I, I, it seems like let the two of them continue to do what they're doing. Maybe pair them up with the uh, revival FDR. Yeah. You know, I gotta say I love the amount of segments that were on the show. Like it's like in retrospect, at the end of the episode, I felt like oh that was a segment heavy show. But then there was a ton of matches too. It, there was just a lot of stuff that happened on the show. Coming up after that, Lance Archer was in like a swamp beating up. Who was he beating up? Oh, I don't know. A random person? Yeah. (laughs) Some alligators. Him and Jake the Snake. Gator meat. Yeah. Got some gator meat for you, Jake. Oh my God. Yeah. We're going to barbecue at Murderhawk Manor. Mansion. Oh, mansion. Sorry. Know your role, John. But yeah, that um, segment was cool. and That was cool. Uh, Jake apologized for, for Archer. Like, he's, I've never seen him like that. So it's like, oh shit. Archer's becoming so bad, even Jake doesn't want to fuck with him anymore. We had uh, Jericho versus Colt. After boom, that. boom, was, Colt Cabana. I, lo- I, I love seeing this match. It's a great singles match. I thought it not was Not the fine. greatest match. Like, not, not, not a great singles match. Like, a great TV match. Like, yes, it reminded it's... me of, like, the Attitude Era, where it's like, oh, cool. We're going to see, like, Stone Cold face road dog or something right. like that where it's yeah. like there's like a, a champion quality person that is facing someone that maybe should be given a shot at a bigger feature yeah totally and it was like it was a fine match i gave it a b minus um my favorite part is before the match not sammy singing but just jericho trying not to laugh at sammy oh my singing. god yeah yeah. It's like Sammy is just doing it just to break Jericho at this point because Jericho, like, he almost was corpsing. Like, his face was so stiff. Uh, that made me laugh a lot. But uh, I think Sammy could at least sing on tune. Like, he doesn't have to sing on key, but if he could just, like, say the words when they happen. Like, with the song. With yeah. the goddamn song. And I mean, I it might just be okay. that it's, like, hard to hear. Like, in the. In, like,. The audio we're hearing is straight from, right? you know, like maybe there's like a delay and he's hearing it. It seems like he's hearing it, then singing it, you know, like he hears the first lyric, then says the first lyric instead of like coming in on time with Jericho. But you would think as the verse progresses, he could do it. But I'm sure the joke is just supposed to be like, it did get a little annoying to me at a certain point. Like, I think it's funny. It's funny, but it's just like what you said made sense, but it just didn't seem realistic. It's like he should be able to 
sing along with it. He's heard this song a thousand times. Yeah, uh, like I, I don't. I think I've only ever listened to that song maybe once, or, like a couple times outside of actually like wrestling, like like hearing it in wrestling. But I think I know almost all the words. Like at totally. Dynamite, I sang along with the crowd. Totally. And I know I think most of the words of that song. So you'd think everyone on the roster probably knows every word to that song at this point. Oh, you would think. And most of Sammy's delivery was not the like was just mumbled mumbling along with the actual words of the song. Yeah, so. it was just like a little too much. Like yeah. just a little little bit too much. Uh Nala Rose versus Big Swole was uh I thought that was a good match. Great showing from Swole. Um you know, Nyla obviously sealed the deal with a huge spear and a beast bomb. But afterwards, uh, Tone, our man Tone Chavone, uh, was interviewing Big Swole. And for some reason, Britt Baker got jealous and just like backed her truck up with the wheelchair in it and like, yeah. was yelling. I'm like, is she jealous because Swole is talking to Tony? It seemed like, that way. I, I don't understand because she's supposed to, she hates Tony. But then got mad. That's just seems like she was mad. She wasn't getting attention, and it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I feel, I feel like <laughs> it was weird. But I do love seeing. I mentioned that I like seeing more is just like exhibition matches between the women on their roster uh, as part of the double or nothing card, and it's cool to see that happen more on the actual show too. Like throwing Big Swole in with Nyla Rose was a great like just yeah. fun singles match to watch. I and really Swole enjoyed it. And losing like didn't hurt her like it she she gave an interview after where she's like, you know, I may have lost, but like I feel like I'm getting better and that's a great babyface promo to make. And, you know, um, as I was watching the match, I was like this match is like kind of slow and plotting in a way that was making me disengage from it. But then like I met, I mentioned this to you while we were watching it. It's like watching watching a Nyla match is like watching like a Vader or Bam Bam Bigelow match where it's like, yeah, if Vader and Bam Bam Bigelow are on a card with like Kenny Omega and Hangman who are doing like flips and these high intensity moves. Yeah. Maybe we would feel the same way about those matches too. Nyla is this huge hulking beast Right, she slows not, down the pace. Not about work rate. It's about, you know, this methodical dismemberment of an opponent, which yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed. I didn't think it was too slow. Uh, wow. Yeah, in retrospect, it, it, what, I, I, I just found myself, I caught myself and started like thinking about it. I was like, oh, it's like not every match needs to be fast-paced and hard-hitting. Like, it's like... Yeah, exactly. It's like taking Brian Cage's match and making it like six minutes instead of a, a minute 30 or whatever it was. Right. Uh, yeah, and that match was great. And I, you know, it's what. What do you think of? Uh, we kind of like glossed over this part of the Jericho Cabana segment. Uh, what do you think of Jericho and Tyson? Uh, is that happening? <laughs> it seems like it's actually happening, right? He called him um, out. Yeah, it does really seem like it's happening. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I want to see that. To be quite frank with you. Yeah, I. Um, uh, I think it'll. I don't know. Yeah. That's that to me seems like something that is like a little bit beneath AW in my opinion. Like it would draw money obviously, but I feel like it would be kind of a shit show. Um, but if they figure out a way to do it in like a cinematic fashion, if it's a straight up wrestling match, like I do not want to see that, but if it's some sort of cinematic thing and uh, Tyson's like methed up crew comes with them and 
it's it's they should do some sort of a house of horrors match but it's just mike tyson's house <laughs> he like turns the corner and there's like a big lion he's like welcome to my house um that would be cool but honestly i don't i don't want to see that what about you well now i want to see what you just said <laughs> like tyson kicks open the door and yeah it's just cutting weird he just promos. got like a flamethrower yeah. Yeah. Oh my yeah. god, yeah, like Jericho turns a corner and Tyson is there with his crew, like <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. I wanna see that. Uh I don't know I don't know, yeah, it's a spectacle. I don't know about yeah, just the actual it I agree. It, saying that it feels beneath them is like a good good way of putting that. That's um, just that's just how I feel. I know some people might be into it. Dude, yeah, and uh, then the uh like the second last part of the show, or like the other most like notable thing that happened at the end of the show, FTR and Tony's interview. Okay, uh, that was awesome. Really I cool. I noted at the first that FTR called AEW the pinnacle of wrestling revolution. So if there's any doubt whether or not they actually like respect this promotion, because obviously like Cornette doesn't, they've been linked with Cornette. I think they they obviously like believe that aw is 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 a really huge opportunity for them well and just speaking of cornet they were interviewed on cornet's drive-through and that interview is really good yeah uh, i listened to half of it not because i wasn't interested but because i didn't realize it would be like three hours long they spoke on like they they like at one point cornet is making fun of something on aw and yeah. something not working and i remember which of them says this but one of them says, some things are going to fall flat on their face, and that's okay. Now you know. And if that doesn't work, scratch that off the list and try again. At least they're willing to try shit, the platform to try something. And they just yeah. are talking about how that's the thing that makes AEW so important. Like, regardless of anyone's opinions on any of the different things that they have done thus far, at least, like, they're willing to try something, like Nightmare Collective. Sure, we didn't like it. And yeah. they heard the audience not liking it, and then they retooled it. Brandy is back with uh, Nightmare Family. Like she's, I I think she's great in that position, and we don't have to see Doctor Luther every week. And it's funny to see Doctor Luther pop up every now and then. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that interview I thought was really good in hearing the two in hearing Cornette interview FTR and who's someone who is like been very critical of AEW, but within the interview, kind of sound the whole interview to me doesn't sound like. A shoot interview it sounds like a person jim Cornette, who potentially may manage the revival i gotta say like if you asked me a month ago i would have been like there's no chance Cornette is on aw um and now i just feel like we've been worked like total marks because i don't know like he said to start off he's like people have wanted to see me see me with these guys and that's not going to happen at least until the pandemic's over. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. What? Sorry. <laughs> right. And you that doesn't gonna... mean like, Hey, like that doesn't it doesn't mean anything, but why well, I also don't think he meant like hang out. Like he means like in that capacity, I feel like he means people want to see me. I mean, we're reading into this slightly, but not much. Like people want to see not me much. manage these gentlemen. Yeah. And honestly, like if, if Cornette's been using his show, not to say that he has, not to say this was all a plan, but if they're, if, if AEW is willing to say, Hey, we've listened to your criticisms and we still want to work with you. Like, that's cool. Like, I think 
he would have to respect that. Like them calling him up and he'd be like, you know, I don't have the best, best things to say about you guys. And then being like, yeah, we know, but that's great. That's a great character. And the way that FTR was, was kind of criticizing some of the tag team division, he was giving a lot of, uh, props to people he'd like to face butcher and blade private party proud and powerful lucha bros kenny and page but he also said yeah like he's gonna teach the lucha bros how to tag and stuff like that and that's a great like a great angle for them to be able to work totally 100 percent. people coming in to criticize the show and be like i'm gonna i'm gonna use my wrestling as yeah we're old school wrestling what i don't like Like... yeah it's that's such a uh it's so good and i actually for the first time like i guess because Cornette was like calmed down but i could like see his his feelings about like selling moves and wrestling psychology and stuff like that. Because a lot of these matches we do watch, it's like, you know, someone will hit a huge finisher on somebody and they'll just get back up and then they'll hit something and then hit their finisher and then they pin. And it's like the move has been completely no. Yeah. His comments on like psychology and wrestling and those kinds of things, I think are totally valid and something that like, and the re and the thing that I think, I do think AEW does exactly what you just said, but I do think AEW, that's the thing that's happening in AEW. It's like this convergence of like old school wrestlers like Arn Anderson and Tully, Taz to a degree, obviously not from that era, but, uh, and then, you know, these new people who who are like, these spot fest, Lucha PWG influence people. But I have a hard time him to believing he didn't watch that match at revolution between the Bucks and Kenny and hangman and go. Now that was some great storytelling. There's no way he didn't respect that story though, because it was so well told. It's been it's been told through the dynamites. This potential breakup of of Hangman and and Kenny. This potential breakup of the elite. You know, uh, Kenny trying to play the um, the mediator sort of between them, and all the all the things, and and the Bucks kind of turning into heels for that feud and kind of getting more heelish as that match went on. Like, there's no way he could have watched that and not thought it was a good story. But at the same time, he can't go on the his show and go. Well, I was wrong. They're great. It was a great match. Like, he's just not going to do it. Kind of circling back to Tony's interview with FTR, uh, setting up a great match for this Wednesday, Butcher and Blade versus FTR. Yeah, that's going to be... Cannot wait for that. Uh, Cannot wait to see them back in the ring. Like, FTR after being, you know, buried by WWE for so long. It's going to be fantastic, but... Yeah, so they're they're talking about people they'd like to face. We mentioned Butcher and Blade, Private Party, all that. Um, they want to obviously get the tag titles, even though Kenny and Paige aren't a real tag team. They they mentioned right. love that. Um, and you know, Tony's or Tone is like, uh, well, I know she didn't mention the Bucks, and they're like, well, that's not a dream match for us. You know, we don't want to we don't want to fight them. We want to punch. And they them continued in the that on the Cornette yeah. story, the Cornette interview too, where they were saying how that. Uh... They never, like, went after the Bucks. The Bucks went after them. Like, that's the whole thing just felt worked. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. The Bucks did call you guys out. But, like, the Buck, and they kind of dismissed a lot of the what the Bucks did. Because at the time, the Bucks had, like, like every tag championship. Like, they were, it's like they had the J-crown of, like, tag belts. Uh, and they won the, the Wrestling Observer. Yeah, they won that. They, won, they won that five years in a row. They won, like, the Junior Heavyweight Tag Championships, the Heavyweight Tag Championships, PWG Tag Championships, ROH Tag Championships. It's like they held so many. They held, like, every tag championship that was not a WWE belt, basically. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, they without a doubt that, that they were and are one of the best tag teams of the last decade. That's what I like about the Bucks is that 
they're not afraid to be healed. Yeah, I I, I really like them like as heels. It, yeah. Oh yeah, they're they're awesome. And then uh, Butcher and the Blade Crash in in Drew Droog mode come in. Oh, dude, I love. Yeah, this. They, I feel like they should get some it, like. It, uh, he should get like a cane or something. Like Blade, like a uh, Blade should have like a <laughs> yeah, cane, yeah, yeah. like Alex. Hundred percent, hundred percent. I loved when um, Cash is just like he's like, "Yeah, hey, listen, it wasn't personal; it was business." Because they basically what they said in the interview was they don't want the Bucks to have any excuse to lose to them. Like they weren't softened up by butchering the blade. Like keep them in good health, so when we fight them, then you guys can all apologize to us for saying that they were the best tag team because we're obviously the best tag team. Uh, love that. And so Cash is like, hey, we're just businessmen. Like, it wasn't personal. Like, let's settle it in, in, in the ring, like businessmen. And then just throws his water <laughs> bottle at at the book. So good. Yeah. I love that. Such heat. Oh, man. That match is going to be sick. Uh, I hope it gets, I'm sure it's going to get a lot of time. Yeah. That'll be really cool. And then uh, up until this point, I remember messaging you being like, what's going on with Brody and the Dark Order? Uh, and then there was just a brief instance where Brody is trying to recruit Colt into the Dark Order. Right. So maybe we're going to see that, what we were suggesting earlier, happen where... Hopefully. They'll come back in full force with a lot of different people. Uh, and then brings us to the main event. Oh, before before you talk about the main event, just a quick segue into Chris Jericho's viral rager at sea, where you oh can contract <laughs> COVID from wrestling superstars such as Chris Jericho, <laughs> FTR, Brandy Rose. <laughs> So, oh yeah, I forgot that that was uh, advertised right here. Yeah, how totally. are they? How are they advertising this cruise? A cruise? Right yeah, like it's like the pandemic. It's still pumping. I don't. It's in. Fe- I, it's in February too. It's not even like it's like oh we're doing this like December of twenty twenty one. It's like well maybe at that time a cruise won't be the craziest thing to do. Maybe there'll be a vaccine by just a summer petri of next year dish or at sea. I just can't. I'm definitely not going to be on that. I will not be either. Sure. I do. I would like to go on a Chris Jericho cruise at some point. Definitely oh, not. Definitely for our live episode. 2022. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, uh, yeah, but yeah, Cody Jungle Boy. Uh, my favorite part is the first defense of the TNT title. Correct. That's right, and uh, he certainly decided to go for it on this one. Um, I love Arn coming out in his little sweater vest and stuff, and he's got like his clipboard. Dude, what do you and- think was written on that clipboard? Um, yeah, it just says Jungle Boy at the top. So me and John, <laughs> question mark. Me, me and John were making some notes of things it could possibly say. Um, what do I have here? Uh, okay, Jungle Boy is short. Uh, try, <laughs> tr- try punching him. He's quick. Watch out for Marco. Luchasaurus? Question mark. <laughs> just Luchasaurus? Question mark. Like from from Jungle? Prehistoric man? Frozen in block of ice? Um, and we also softened up on Cody's neck tattoo. Over the last little I, bit. yeah, it looks fine. It looks cool. Like I don't know, it was jarring when I first when we when I first saw it, uh, and I think it definitely fits his look now. I and do, I... and I don't know if there's something about like it's kind of like a good lesson in letting things kind of breathe. They're like not jump, not jumping to be insanely critical about. I think it's hard not to jump to a neck tattoo because yeah, it's just true. so like. It's just so there in your face. But I think it, it, it kind of makes him look a little bit badass, like, when he's got the suit on. So he doesn't just look like a rich fan. He's got that neck tattoo. <laughs> like, um, 
Yeah, I liked I just, it. And you know, the one one of the facts that was thrown out right at the start of this match that I really liked that AEW is able to say is that Jungle Boy has won 60% of his matches. Oh, so that's cool. that percentage, you know, puts him like the odds of him winning there are good because he wins 60% of his matches, loses 40%. And yeah. those the, the the fact that they're able to bring in those statistics, and it's it's cool to think that they cuz Tony Khan is a statistics guy that those are actually rooted in real right. real stats but even totally. if they weren't and it was just like they just they wanted to feel more like a sport so it's like a fact that they just decided to throw out and it's so cool. funny because 60 percent, like you know it's not it's it's it seems like a good winning record but like if you were in w wwe and you were getting booked 50 percent like i feel like that's what they do to everybody they just give them 50 yeah. percent feuds yep. goes one way goes the other way and stuff and tony has found a way to sort of do that but in the long game giving people like long periods of winning giving people sorts of because i can't actually remember jungle boy winning recently other than the um the battle royal for that opportunity but yeah, um, um, yeah, I can't think of a time he's won recently either. Uh, I'm sure he has, but this was a sick match. Really um, great. Um, I don't think Cody needed to bleed in this match. No, I thought that was over the top and it was, I didn't very... where did that even happen? Like what spot made him bleed? Okay. This is why it's confusing because jungle boy basically throws him into the, into the barrier and then it just cuts to MJF for like a minute shooting on jungle boy like you think you deserve a title shot before me you're a joke you're a joke and then after that like minute it cuts back to cody and he's just like laying there just like covered in blood i really don't like that like i feel like the blade has to be done quick or it's just so obvious and it, it seemed clear that he was trying to make this like as epic a match as possible but like he's gonna bleed and it's like this Oh, they, they, they fell off the top rope onto the table outside. Like, oh my God, like what a first TNT title defense. Like this is made for a video package for right. sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very, uh, very WWE in that way, actually. Just in yeah. that, like a lot of it's in service of like a future. That's what it felt like in parts. Like I didn't, yeah. in retrospect, in critiquing it, I feel like it felt that way. In watching it, I just like, I loved watching it. It was lost in the match. Did get distracted. The blood is the only thing that made me like oh, when did that happen? Why is he bleeding now? It's been mostly, because it was mostly up to that point, just kind of a solid, like like the MJF Jungle Boy match. Just a yeah. cool, fun singles wrestling match with that worked between two people, which is, in my mind, what that match needed to be. Just that, like a, a solid wrestling match. Totally. And I think in some in some ways... Like the the overbooking, like the blood, all that stuff, kind of gets in the way. Because I I have I, I've been a fan of Cody for a while. Like my my favorite Cody match, my the first Cody match I saw that I remember really loving was his match against Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom, and I remember that got a lot of flack. Like people didn't like it, but I personally really loved it. And that match is kind of just it's like a really cool, fun wrestling match. And when he lets his matches be that way, I feel like I like them more than when they bring in snakes and Mike Tyson and Arn Anderson yeah. and Brandy and Jake Hager. Totally. It's like, how many things need to be in this match when you could just yeah. have this cool singles match? Cause you're capable of it. His, the strikes he throws are really great. And just yeah. hit, like his move set that pulls from his moves, his dad's moves and his brother's move are so it's, it's such a cool set of moves. Totally. I honestly, the, 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 ble the blade job 
I have no problem with blade jobs, but th- it brought it down a little bit for me. Like I, I, it was a B for me overall having watched it twice. Like it was a good match. It wasn't nearly as good as I think these guys are capable of having just like a straight wrestling match the way that uh, jungle boy and MJF did. Um, there's just a lot, lot, lot of stuff happening, but it was fun. Like, and made jungle boy look strong and there were some great spots. Like them falling through the table was awesome. I love that jungle boy, uh, was going for the, for the open wound. Like once Cody was yeah, open, totally was like el- hitting his head, elbowing his head, jungle boy looked like he really wanted that championship. Uh, and everyone looks strong, but I really think you got to save those blades. Like when the last blade that he did was in that Dustin match, um, which is maybe the best match in AW history up to this point. I don't know. You'll have to wait till torture act issue five, where I'll be presenting my top 20 matches in the first year of AW. Can't wait. Maybe, maybe I just basically, well, no, yeah, you're definitely doing now. That. Now you have, now you have yeah. to let me well, write I, that. Yeah. Job. I want you to write that. Uh, <laughs> I feel like your perspective on that is interesting just from the different wrestling that you've watched and, you know, being someone who's watched AW since its inception, uh, yeah, I'm excited to for you to write that, and I'm excited uh, to read it. Totally. Yeah, it, the match was great. Uh, he didn't need to bleed. The other, t- he's ble- he bleeds like in almost every match. Like the last, like I think the last maybe straight blade job was Dustin Cody, but he remember he had that crazy fall on the like oh where it took out a chunk of his head, and now he has that weird triangle scar on his head. Like man. He's, he bleeds all the time. Uh, what do you think made Brandy Rhodes more upset? The triangle scar above his eye or the neck tattoo? Are they on the same side? I bet Brandy has switched sides of the bed <laughs> to not have to see the neck tattoo as much. That's really funny. Yeah, I wonder if he if she made him get it on the side that she doesn't doesn't uh, sleep on. She like moved everything from the night table, and he's like, what, "What's going on?" She's like, "Just don't ask any questions. You I can do what you want, anymore. and I can do what I want." Um, but yeah, that, that that was a great episode of Dynamite. I can't wait for this week. Uh, Fighter Fest is two nights now, uh, and yes. just broadcast on TNT. That will be cool. That's gonna be awesome. Uh, yeah, all belts defended. They announced so. Oh, um, nice. Two, I like two night events, like over two weeks. That just that makes me happy. That's just more things to look forward to. Yeah, it'd be co- cool to see. Like I mentioned to you, it'd be cool to see Cody in a uh, two two night two title defenses since he's that seems very likely pushing um, such a like I'm the workhorse. I'm going to defend this constantly. Cool that he has a title match lined up for this week. Uh, you know wait. what they should book is on Dynamite is like two like um, the way they they would kind of do it on on WWE sometimes to like four pack challenges to determine oh, the, the two yeah. competitors. And maybe totally. even then those competitors could fight to decide who gets to fight on the second night or something Almost like, like that. Almost like a King of the Ring. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that would be sweet. I love tournaments. I love number one contendership matches. Speaking of tournaments, man, the Cruiserweight tournament on NXT over these past couple of weeks has been such a cool way to jump back into watching the weekly program. Yes. I almost wish we had gone back a little bit earlier and had started at the quarterfinals, not the semis. Yeah, it's I don't know, like the idea of there's something great about the idea of tournaments because anytime that you, me, or Thomas talk about like oh there should be a G1 style tournament in AEW for trios or there should be a tag tournament that's like the G1 in AEW, I always think about that and think about how I don't know why it's so appealing. I think it's because you know the matches are coming maybe or something, and maybe that's why Dynamite's so fun to watch too. Like you get the match cards ahead of time. I think there's a couple of reasons as far as the G1 goes. You just know that there's going to be like 
a bunch of dream matches that are going to happen. Like if they just start booking, like every, like this person has to fight everyone else in the tournament, you start thinking about all the possible dream matches that could come up. Yeah, and you get to kind of like see, yeah, you, I guess that's what it is. It's like the G1, you know the G1's always going to deliver. And then even just like simpler tournaments, like the TNT tournament, TNT title tournament, or this Cruiserweight tournament here, both of them, both of them were really exciting to watch and see develop. Uh, what did you think of the finals match on uh, NXT TV this past week? Um, the finals I thought were really good. Actually, I saw that you didn't really like them. Uh, I gave it a B plus slash A minus, and John gave it a C plus. So that's probably our biggest grade disparity uh, disparity ever. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I I did not. I, I liked Drake Maverick's story, but I found myself getting distracted by the fact that I wasn't sure if I, I, if I wasn't sure, I didn't think he was going to win because the promo he had in the beginning of the episode said something like, uh, I don't care about dieting. I'm going to go have cake and cookies and, and just all of the commentary in that match, I was like, well, this is, if he loses and it is not hired anymore, this commentary is heartbreaking. Right, like he's one step away from being expelled from WWE. Yeah, and then, so that I found a little distracting. Whereas, like, last week's episode, uh, last week's Cruiserweight, this, the triple threat with Kushida, Maverick, and Atlas... It was. I liked that match way more than this finals match. That was a better and match, it, definitely. But it was also a different match. Like that was just a really fast paced match. Whereas I didn't feel like this one was necessarily like go go go. It was kind of more of a methodical takedown. By and I guess El that's the Hio. kind of cruiserweight super super junior match that I like is like fast paced, like a like a spr- like uh, I think Meltzer described Hiromu's style as a wrestling match worked as a sprint, <laughs> and I feel like that's like the right way for a cruiserweight finals match to happen like have it be like quit like crazy moves fast work rate like lots of yeah i think lots it, of intense it might have just suffered a little bit in comparison to, to to the last week but i thought it was a i thought it was a solidly worked match but uh i do have to say i was distracted afterwards i felt like drake maverick was really like trying to cry like he just yes like, I, yeah totally and... yeah i thought i thought they were like like yeah when he they first show him when he loses it looks like he's fake crying yeah and it's like well you cried on camera because you thought you were gonna lose your job like on instagram so can you like you think you do that again at the end of the match yeah because it's your last match and you're fired I, I turns out i didn't love it it's not the case but yeah i didn't like that either but yeah, then, and then it seemed like he like really cried at the end. Like it seemed like he actually cried after Triple H. Papa H. Out. Do you think that Drake Maverick knew or did not know? I absolutely think he knew. Like, there's no way, there's no way that that happens. Like live on camera, you sign a contract. He signed that contract like five days ago. I bet. Yeah, that's true. I guess he would also like he probably would have had to be in on it playing out on screen as well. Like, yeah, that would be pretty insane if he didn't know. And I mean, I guess that's like the one, the last like bastion of kayfabe is that like blending reality with storyline in a way where it's like, wow, I maybe he didn't know because he seemed like he was really crying at like at the very end. He seemed like he started bawling when Triple H raised his hand up in the air. But at that moment, it seemed like more so like something to cry about, like, oh, I'm actually here now. 
I don't know. I'm excited to see what else he does. I I would like to see him fight with Kushida, uh, and you know do do more in NXT in general. Like I think he would be interesting to put against, put into like the uh, North American title scene. Have yeah. him go after. What do you, you think know, of Cole. him uh, losing? I I don't. Know. That to me felt very uh, WWE. Yeah, just like a swerve. Yes, and that also like just and that's I think what I didn't like about the match. The match felt like it was in service to the story, bigger story they were telling, rather than a part of the story they were telling. Like, right? It felt like we got to get through this match. Let's get it over with, and now he can sign the contract and we can move on instead of like let's have this awesome match. Drake Maverick will win. He'll be the new cruiserweight champion, and on top of that, Triple H comes out. Here's the contract. You're the new champion. And you won this tournament, so we have to give you the cut. Like that's I don't know. That story is more satisfying to me than now. Yeah, it seems a little bit like arbitrary. Like oh, like you you earned this. Like he didn't earn it before. Like was he not a good wrestler before? Like I don't know. The whole and the whole lead up episode, like the go home show for NXT, to me felt. It felt too, like, I know it's a go-home show, so they have to build up all of the stories, which I, I appreciated the amount of segments, but I wish that there was more wrestling on this show. This well, week. you have to remember that you had the 60-minute version, because I saw a ton of wrestling on NXT. I'm counting one, two, three, four, five, six matches. Wow, yeah, I only seen... I think I've seen three Sorry, or seven four matches. matches. I've seen half of the amount of matches you have. So, which I guess I like in retrospect, or I guess in that case, it sounds like you're getting a lot of like fluff, like filler matches. Yes. Uh, whereas like I am only getting the matches that have story implications or that are building to something beyond in your house. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I don't care. I don't know. I guess like I liked... The, the thing that I liked about the hour-long NXT was that it was like, okay, I'm going to get probably two matches that have big story implications, and then a couple throwaway matches where I'm introduced to someone new, and I guess that's what I missed, and I have missed. The one thing that I absolutely loved about uh, the TV, NXT TV this week, was EO Shirai's package. The yeah, that was awesome. I'm going to be the next NXT champion, and now she is the nxt champion uh i don't know overall i really enjoyed in your house as a show um yeah it's funny because it was uh you know a pretty good show but at the same time it might be the weakest nxt takeover that i can remember watching in I the last like year or yeah. so um just because we we got to the last match and usually we have a you know a few a minuses at least but we hadn't given any anything higher than a B plus, um, which for any other show, like for a WWE show, would be fantastic. But we've been sort of spoiled with these sort of six match, almost perfect yeah, just like cards. bangers. Yeah. yeah, there was a sick Ico Pro ad in the middle of this thing that like gave I loved all the throwback thought. stuff throughout this. Yeah, yeah, this that was is awesome. it's really cool that they're doing a lot of that kind of. I don't know they, it within the last. I guess maybe just within like the coronavirus sort of era, they feel it feels like they're willing to embrace more of the like nostalgia of their promotion, like with the Bray Fire Firefly Funhouse match. Like I feel like a lot of that 
stuff they've done in to a degree but i feel like it's like i don't know the fact that they built a whole show throwback graphics and totally uh like little vignettes like that was really awesome and then uh, we got a we got a cinematic match as well with cole versus uh velveteen yes and i i gotta say i really loved i loved this match uh it was really good i don't know this this match i i liked portions of it uh portions of it felt a little too um boneyard match for me like when the undisputed era like pulled up and then dexter loomis pulled put him, them in the trunk of his car i was like does this I do match wish that really need a- this a bit more wrestling it felt very overbooked yeah like I, yeah I wish a little that... bit more wrestling would have been nice in this in this wrestling match for sure even just like fighting like yeah. i liked the i liked the vignettes where they were like kind of dragging each other around along like the siding of the house yeah and the just like, kind lot. of punching each other yep. yeah like those spots were really cool and i wish that there was more of them and yeah i don't know we i don't feel like we didn't need the dexter loomis involvement like no velveteen's a star he doesn't need someone like even like a like someone that's like kind of like aligned with him for like a common cause. I feel like just let Velveteen shine. And I'm uh, worried that he is like at the tipping point now. Like I felt like that he kind of needed that belt. Like he's been around for quite some time. He's fought everybody. You know, I've seen him take a lot of losses. Um, I don't know where he goes from here. I wonder, I wonder if this is just a way to clear him out of here. So Kerry and cross can go for the title. I'll tell you what I would like to see. Um, is Finn beating Adam Cole and then Carrion taking it off Finn. Uh, I would love that, yeah. Yeah. And then have various people feud with Keith Lee for the North American title and let Keith Lee be champ for a while until he gets called up to the main roster. Carrion Cross versus Tommaso Ciampa was as close to a squash match as you can get. It was like a competitive squash match. Yeah. Um, like Tommaso got some strikes in and a few moves, but like not, it was like three minutes long, uh, really choked cool him match. out. Basically. I, I, I might've given a different ending than just like kind of like a sleeper. Um, but he looked powerful. Yeah. I think it works. He looked yeah, powerful. Totally. He ran over Champa, who's like arguably the greatest. Yeah, th- NXT that was really, ever. really cool to see. Cause Tommaso is so often in the position of sort of the upper hand, People are usually fighting like upwards against Ciampa. He's usually the it's... scary, like crazy one. Yeah, yeah, totally. And in this, there's no way he could have been. Final match: Charlotte Flair or Rhea Ripley? Io Shirai. This was nonstop. This was easily match of the night. I loved this match. Yeah, well, and just like three top wrestlers going at it. It's like really cool. It's such a cool thing to see, uh, and it's what a takeover match is like. Along with Asuka, I would say these are probably, like, the three best female yeah, wrestlers, like, on the roster. Io climbs to the top of the set and splashes Oh, my God. That was crazy. Yeah, it's one throughout that, she had a lot of big spots that made me think, I don't think she's going to win. Like, let's Yeah, because she was going to do like, all these cool spots. stuff, and but then she was going to, like, lose to Charlotte and still look great. She, uh, she hit a yeah. huge springboard dropkick to Rhea's chest, just, like, stomped her down. That was awesome. And I think moving forward, yeah, it's like you have this great story between Charlotte and Rhea. If Charlotte stays in NXT, you have this great story of Charlotte and Rhea fighting each other for a number one contender spot. 
Yeah. And then you have everyone else on the card too, like Shotzi and Candice vying for that spot as well. I, I wonder though, if Charlotte will stay in NXT or if now since Becky is leaving WWE, Charlotte will go back up to the main brand. Oh, that's interesting. I never even thought of that. That actually like, might actually why be why they took the title off of her. You're right. I think that that's probably more likely, and then Rhea will... Maybe Rhea will be main roster bound, too. Who knows? I mean, she was certainly ready for that, right? Interesting. Very interesting. I, I would recommend anyone to... Even if you were going to skip this pay-per-view, to check out that Rhea Ripley, Yoshirai, Charlotte Flair match. Like, Yeah, really good. Really awesome. Their women's division always delivers, and that, that definitely was... That match made the whole show worth watching. Like, I mean, the show was... Overall, I really loved In Your House... John, hit me up with your classic match review. Dude, uh, Y2J Chris Jericho versus HBK Shawn Michaels in a ladder match at No Mercy 2008. Thank you for telling me to watch this because this is an era that I didn't watch. Like I was off of WWE probably from about like from the early 2000s till like 2017, basically. So for almost two decades, it's cool going back and seeing chris jericho in this context after watching him you know from wrestle kingdom to starting aew totally it's wild to think everywhere he's been and everything he's done well he's like know. the man of the mo. he's like the david bowie of wrestling right who, like he's had so i don't many think there's anybody else that can compare like no i can't think of anybody the fact that it's like he's wrestled in every major promotion basically ever like it's insane. I want to just uh, point out again that this is six months before the original HBK Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. So I consider this to be like Shawn Michaels at the peak of his uh, return. The match starts out really fast, like really fast paced, really hard hitting. Uh, it was really fun to watch. It's like Jericho takes Michaels down to the arena floor, throws a ladder on top of him, then hits him with a lion tamer while he's under the ladder we get like that. classic Chris Jericho, like taunting and yelling, like "Come on, Michaels! Come on, Michaels! <laughs> you what are you gonna do?" Yeah, yeah. I I love like I don't know. I feel like not enough people do that. Like Kevin Owens is really good about that. Alexa Bliss is good at oh, that. Oh, Kevin like, Owens is awesome. Thinking of like that. Western wrestlers that do that, like yeah. scream in matches. Like I feel like there's not. It's few and far between. Uh, Joey Janela. I feel like those are those people come to mind right away. And there's just so many spots throughout this. Like at one point Jericho gets busted open on the lip and I don't think it didn't look like it was worked. No. Yeah. It seemed cause it was just a small amount of blood that grew. It didn't become like a crimson mask or anything. Yeah. Anything not on the forehead is generally, uh, it was real. something in his mouth and it, I think it happened on like a, a ladder, I believe. Uh, and they keep brawling like throughout the whole match. There's not a lot of rest holds, not a lot of like moments of, you know them like laying in a pile like it it's just non-stop spot after spot after spot yeah they have incredible I, cardio on this one yeah it's wild and it's 12 years ago and jericho's still pretty much going strong and he found a different way of working that still you know lives up to this jericho as well oh absolutely there's this crazy spot like halfway through it where hbk sets up a ladder by the announce table but then jericho backdrops sean from atop the ladder and it's just complete car wreck. This is really maybe the one spot where the two do take like a break and yeah. are like on the ground. Uh, and then they run back into the ring. Jericho starts setting up a ladder, but then Michaels meets him 
inside. Michaels is on the top turnbuckle. Jericho brings the ladder over to, to the turnbuckle, and Michaels is kind of like trapped. So then Jericho drop kicks the ladder into his face. Oh my god, brutal! Ladder falls down, knocks Jericho over. Michaels then gets up, goes for the elbow drop, but Jericho moves the ladder in the way, and it looks like his elbow cut. I mean, it basically does. It comes down. His arm comes on the ladder, but his elbow hits it, and he seems like actually got hurt for a moment. Then Jericho sets Michaels up for a second rope moonsault onto the ladder. This is another spot where you'd think that they would like, all right, Jericho, we just did the sequence of like three big moves. Let's take a break. Yeah. But they just keep going. Like Jericho does that, and then he gets hurt because he land, does a moonsault onto Michaels onto the ladder, so he gets hurt too. Michaels gets hurt, kind of like rolls out of the way, sets up the ladder, starts climbing the ladder, but then... oh. Lance Cade crashes in. Someone who's and had even more of a storied career than, than Chris Jericho. Lance Cade. Yeah. <laughs> who just keeps reinventing <laughs> I up, himself. I, I, I had to look up his name to even write down who he was. I have I, no I, idea I, who I, that is. And I, and I still don't know who he is really. I just, you know, did some light research, research on him. But uh, he seemed that, that spot, I don't know. It was a weird, it's a weird choice because this is like the end of the match basically. So Michaels is climbing. Jericho's down. After the moonsault, Lance Cade crashes in, pulls Michaels down. It seemed like a spot manufactured so Michaels could throw down a sweet chin music. Yep. Sweet chin music on Lance Cade. Lance Cade rolls out of the ring, but now Jericho has recovered. Jericho climbs. They meet at the top. HBK throws a punch. Jericho throws a punch. They kind of go back and forth with punches. They both grab the title. The, the, this ending sequence here is really cool. Like I, I feel like the this is my favorite part of ladder matches when you have these moments of like, you truly don't know which one of them is going to win. And I personally didn't know who won this totally. going into this, so I wasn't sure what the outcome was going to be. And they're at the top of the ladder, and Jericho is grasping the edge of the title and like dangling, kind of his feet are still on the ladder, but he's dangling with all his weight from the edge of the title and Michaels has the other hand and he's like wrenching it back his way. So he's kind of moving Jericho and Jericho's weight is pulling Jericho back and they kind of like seesaw back and forth. And those moments, the dramatic moments like that, where it's like, this could really easily like go wrong. Go very bad. What if, yeah. Yeah. What if Jericho slips? Cause Jer- ultimately Y2J wins, but like what would happen if he like accidentally like, you know, slipped, fell off and, HPK is holding the title and is HPK the champion. Uh, but ultimately Jericho kind of like reestablishes hold on the title, gets up back onto the ladder, headbutts Michaels. Michaels falls off the ladder. Jericho holds the title high. Lillian Garcia announces Y2J as the dominant heavyweight champion. And at this point, Jericho's face, he's actually like been wiping the blood all over his face. So it's not like still isn't like completely covered, but it's like cool kind of brave heart. Uh, just like, blood covered face uh and yeah it, it was a really great match they give it an a really happy i got to watch it. it it's really fun like in retrospect now being able to go back to that era and all of these different wwe eras that i've not i didn't watch and like seeing a match that i don't know the outcome of being able to see a package and then seeing it sort of unfold in a way one of the ways that I personally gauge whether or not a wrestling match is good, because I always am drawing during every match, is the amount of time I spend drawing mm. versus the amount of time I actually watch the match. And I pretty much just watch that match right. all the way through because it was such totally. a sprint to the end. 
John, do you have a classic match recommendation for me before we wrap this party I do, up? and I can't wait for you to watch it, and I don't think you have seen it yet. I know that I mentioned right. it to you before, but I don't know if you actually went and watched it on the... There's a good chance I have World website. So the match took place at Wrestling Dontaku, 1993. The World okay. Wrestling Federation heavyweight champion, Hulk Hogan. Oh! Travels to Tokyo to face the IWGP, the Interna- International Wrestling Grand Prix heavyweight champion, the Great Muda, in a very classic match that I absolutely love, and I think you will too. I've been wanting to watch some Hogan in New Japan he rips because it. I hear he just kind of like, he rips it up. He's like more Matt-based, yep. right? Yeah, uh-huh. He And he does, I mean, a lot of the, it's just cool to see him do, he does wrestling moves. Like he gra- does like grapples and holds and like all kinds of like, all kinds of stuff he did not do with his like three or four move, move set in the WWE. It's cool to see. I love this because, you know, I don't have a high opinion of Hulk Hogan as a wrestler. So I love the idea of like, oh, show me a really good, Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and I've been trying to pick matches that, like, are probably New Japan matches that you haven't seen, which, because I know, like, a lot of the history of the company you're not very familiar with since you've been watching it since, you know, Jericho Omega. Totally. Uh, And. Yeah, I've been watching it for not even a year. I think it'll be a cool way for you to go back and see it all. Yeah. No, I want to learn so much about that. I want to learn more about WCW, ECW. I want to soak this stuff up like a sponge. This has been another edition of the Torture Rack Podcast. You can follow John at John F. Malta on all social media. You can follow me at Waste of Taste on Instagram. And you can follow Torture Rack at Torture Rack on Instagram. We'll see you next week for some more wrestling. <laughs>